0: Glad to be with you. And you know, <clears throat> sometimes you're not sure where or how God gives you an idea for something. But you're going to see in the scripture today that all of you who are born again are ready for that for which you need to be ready. But there are ways to get readier. Is that more ready, David? Help me out. Okay, all right. So, do you remember a few sermons ago, Gustavo asked something like, "For which of these books?" Do you remember that? Remember that? For which of these books? How many in the Bible? Sixty-six. For which of these are you willing to die? Do you remember that? And some of you think oh, that's all weird. I'd die for a book? You know to to either deny or not deny a book. But what was the point of that? Each of those books is what? The Word of God. His Word. Out of Him. Not out of nothing, out of God. And it's the truth. That's a serious question. You might say, well, I would die to not deny Jesus. But I wouldn't die to not deny a book of the Bible. I don't think it was a rhetorical question, was it? So, let me just give you a little story here. Good, I brought them. About John Huss. But you need to know a tiny bit about, remind a little bit, you know, John Wycliffe to know about John Huss. And if you remember, Wycliffe was in the late 1300s. And he said that the Word of God, the Bible, not Roman Catholicism, is the only full and final authority. Okay? Now you would get in trouble for that if you understand history. <clears throat> so then, Wycliffe said, Were there a hundred popes and all the friars turned into cardinals, their opinions and matters of the faith should not be accepted in so far as they are founded on Scripture. So he believed personal knowledge of God's world would certainly aid also in the salvation of the world he was very interested in what? getting the Bible into a language that people could read and he thought also that if they could read the Bible for themselves it would expose the secret sins of the Roman ecclesiastical 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 system, thank you So now, that's a little preface to John Huss. Now, Huss learned from Wycliffe, and he was, in a sense, a follower of Wycliffe. And he was one of the progenitors to what we call the Reformation, right? The we we talk about it in October, and sometimes we have a good celebration, maybe in a barn or somewhere else. And he was what most people would normally think of a seminal figure in the Bohemian Reformation, now, the Roman Catholic religious hierarchy, which was very powerful with the government and religious leaders, labeled Huss a heretic and called him before councils and sent inquisitors after him. And you would not want to be with one of those inquisitors or any of those inquisitors. Uh-oh, I've got to get this thing in order. Okay, I think I'm okay, Luke. So he became a pastor of the Church of Bethlehem in Prague, Czech, and they went after him. Quote, the council condemned Huss as being obstinate and incorrigible and fixed as his punishment that he should be degraded from the priesthood, his books publicly burned, and himself, now get this, the religious leaders, turned him over to the silver power, civil power for execution. So you can see the workings together between the religious people and the government. Now, that should remind you of a lot of history, right? Maybe not even some long ago, but today in some places. So, he received the sentence without showing any fear. At the close of it, he kneeled down, with his eyes lifted up toward heaven, and with all a martyr's heroism exclaimed, May thy infinite mercy, O God, pardon this injustice of my enemies. Does that remind you of anything? Hmm. Those appointed for the purpose by the council now stripped him of his priestly garments, degraded him, and put a paper mitre on his head on which devils were painted with this inscription, a ringleader of heretics. This mockery was borne by the martyr with a resignation and dignity that triumphed over the ignominious garb he was compelled to wear. The ceremony of degradation being over, the bishops delivered the prisoner to the emperor who committed him to the care of the Duke of Bavaria. His books were burned at the gate of the church. You know what? I don't even like to call it a church. My children know that. I don't call it a church. But anyway... And he himself was led outside the city of Constance to the place of execution. When he had come there, he fell on his knees, looked steadfastly toward heaven, and said, "Into thy hands, O Lord, do I commit my spirit." When the faggots—that's bundles of wood—had been piled around Huss, the Duke of Bavaria begged the doom man for the last time to recant. No, firmly replied the martyr, "I have never preached any false doctrine, and that which I have taught with my lips, I will now seal." With my blood. When the faggots were lighted, he sang a hymn with so loud and cheerful a voice that he was heard through all the cracklings of the wood and the noise of the multitude. At length, his voice was interrupted by the flames, which soon put an end to his life. This took place in July of 1415. Today, I want to talk a little bit about Will I Stand? And I think the answer is, is Jesus your rock? Here's a brief outline. Will I stand? And then I ask, is Jesus your rock? Is he my rock? Yes, if you are saved. Yes, if your love of Christ is real and deep. Yes, if the Lord is your rock. And yes, your standing is And will be only because of the mercy and the love, the goodness, the glory, and the power of our great and good God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you would, would you please stand with me? I'm going to read from Acts 7 from the Word of God. (coughs) Acts chapter 7. I'll be reading from the ESV. Acts chapter 7 beginning verse 47. But it was Solomon, so Stephen is talking here, but it was Solomon who built a house for him, God. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you'll always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You may be seated. Father, help us to see something clearly of your nature. Help us to see Jesus, our Lord. Today, in this passage and in the preaching of the Word, Lord, help me to be faithful, to do the right thing, to say the right words. And please help the listeners to be moved by your Spirit. Amen. I I don't know about you. I, I think, well, I think I do know. I think every Christian has asked himself or herself, what would I do? Everybody has to ask that. If you're a Christian, you know something can happen to you someday. You you can be in a pickle. You can be in a really bad place. And we think, well, no, not 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 America. It doesn't happen today. You know it happens today. You know. If you if you get the voice of the martyrs, if you read the news, you don't have to be a Christian to know, unless you're just really. Blinded. You don't have to be a Christian to know Christians are persecuted. People know, non-Christians know, it's not the Christians who are hurting people. We know that. Even non-Christians know that. Most people, most people, would rather live around Christians than other people. Most people would. That doesn't mean they all like Christians, but they'd rather live around them. So, let's go back to Stephen. <clears throat> How will we stand? First of all, you've got to go back to Acts chapter 6. Stephen lived just after Christ ascended. He was born again. How? By the will of God. Not by the will of man, by the will of God. In Acts chapter 6, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Econor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. So he was the son of God. And what does Stephen do with his accusers? He gives a speech, like impromptu speech. I doubt that he was sitting around. I don't know. I can't say. I, anyway, he gives a speech. In Acts 7.1, the high priest says, Are these things so... See, he's already been accused, right? And, and almost always, almost always, it seems like in history, Christians are accused of false things. Now, some of it's true. Some of the things they're accused of are true, and some are false. But that's how they get the attention of the authorities. You mix a little truth with a little lie, and you try to get them in trouble. That's what happens all the time. It happens in our courts with Christians and non-Christians. You mix a little truth with a little lie. That's how gossip gets going. That's why people believe things on social media. It's rarely all totally false. There's always a little something in there that gets your attention. Acts 7.1, and the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And I really like, you know, I'm probably going to quote Matthew Henry. All right. So, I really like how he introduces a chapter, chapter 7 of Acts. You're going to have to listen carefully today because I don't have a lot of overhead slides for you. So I can just see somebody say, but I'm a visual learner. You're too modern. We didn't get to say that in the 50s or 60s, did we, Tom? Well, I'm a visual learner, sister. (laughs) What would she have said? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) get out the ruler, whack your knuckles. Okay, Stephen is now at the bar before the great council of the nation, indicted for blasphemy. What the witnesses swore against him, we had an account of in the foregoing chapter, that he spoke blasphemous words against Moses and God, for he spoke against his holy place and the law. Well, that's what they said, right? Now, here, the high priest calls upon him to answer for himself. He was president, and as such the mouth of the court, and therefore he saith, You, the prisoner at the bar, you hear what is sworn against you. What do you say to it? Are these things so? Have you ever spoken any words to this this purport? If you have, will you recant them, or will you stand to them? Guilty or not? Guilty. This carried a show of fairness, and yet seems to have been spoken with an air of haughtiness. And thus far, he seems to be prejudged prejudge the cause that if it were so that he had spoken such and such words, he shall certainly be adjudged a blasphemer, whatever he may offer in justification or explanation of them. You're prejudged. That's it. That's it. Reminds us that the evil, sinful soul of man is closed to the things of God. That's what it reminds me of, and is always ready to destroy discriminate against or persecute the children of God that's that's just how the world is unless the merciful and powerful God works in their souls they hate Christ they might not say it out loud but they hate Christ we were enemies of Christ I was an enemy of Christ people might have looked at me when I was 20 oh he's such a nice boy he's a nice Catholic boy I was an enemy of Christ So how did Stephen deal with persecution and being on the spot? He could deal with it because he was born again. He was ready to give glory to his God. But how did he do that? So, let's go here. And this is what I want every one of you to be. It's what I want all of us to be. That in this discourse... He appears to be a man ready and mighty in the Scriptures. Did you hear that? He appears to be a man ready and mighty in the Scriptures. I'll read it again. He appears to be a young woman, or a young man, or an older woman, every Christian, ready and mighty in the Scriptures and thereby thoroughly furnished for every good word and work. He can relate scripture stories. Does that mean fiction? No, they're stories, real accounts. And such as were very pertinent to his purpose. Offhand, without looking in his Bible. So have you ever heard people say, Well, you've got to find a Christian counselor. And this is nothing against Christian counselors. The point is, you want a counselor. You want a person who is wise in the things of God. You don't just want a psychologist helping you. You want somebody who knows the Word of God. You want a brother and sister in this church, when you talk with him who knows the Word of God. That's what we want. Offhand, without looking in his Bible... He was filled with the Holy Ghost, not so much to reveal to him new things or to open to him the secret counsels and decrees of God concerning the Jewish nation, with them to convict these gainsayers. No, but to bring to his remembrance the scriptures of the Old Testament and to teach him how to make use of them for their conviction. Those that are full of the Holy Ghost will be full of the scripture as Stephen was. So he, he gave a speech, wasn't that an amazing speech? And of you remember that one in, in Acts six? And it just traced the history and, and it, it's like a it's like a paraphrase of hundreds and I don't know how many years. Just he just traced it out. And like boom, 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 boom. You know, he goes to Moses and he goes to Abraham and he goes to Joseph and the pit. You know, he doesn't even mention the pit where Joseph was, but it's all in there. It's it's kind of cool. If you can look at that and understand that then you're on a pretty decent track to knowing something in the Old Testament. If you read Acts chapter 6, you say, what in the world is he talking about? And you've been a Christian more than, I don't know, a couple years? Then you better start working. You better start getting into it because something's missing either in what you've been doing or what your church has been doing with you. Okay, so he adeptly and forcefully used the Word of God and he showed that God's chosen people disobeyed God. The Lord and dishonored the Lord over and over again. And he pointed his persecutors to God's Word. Because didn't they, weren't they the kind of people who say, Oh, yeah, we know the Word of God. We know the Old Testament. We know the Scriptures. We know the Scriptures. We know the Scriptures. What are you telling us about the Scriptures? But he used that to point them to historical good news. But the Gospel to Jesus Christ. He pointed there. You see that in the end of the speech. And this shows that Stephen was pursuing the things of God. And he loved the Word of God. Not because it was, well, I was going to say ink on a page. It wasn't ink. Or was it? I don't know. Yeah, they used, I think by then were they using ink? Okay, thank you. And he had the precepts and the testimonies written on his heart. Remember Dan's sermon from Psalm? Anybody remember that recently? Was that this fall? Yeah, I think when... When our teaching elder was gone, and Dan, and and then, I think right after Gustavo came back, didn't he preach again from Psalms? And then last week was Psalm, right? But it wasn't Psalm 119, that was Psalm 117. But he had the precepts, the testimonies, on his mind. They're there. All of us should be there. No, I'm not there yet. Do you have the precepts and testimonies of God in your heart? Or are you saying, well, it's been a few days. Do we discipline ourselves to read and revel in and study the Word of God? Do we make the Holy Scriptures a regular part of every day? Do we think about what God says and and try to apply it to raising children, how we interact with our boss at work, our employer, how we do things with our customers. A lot of you have customers. Most of us have customers. A lot of you guys have customers. I have customers. How we order our homes, how we manage our homes, how we treat our friends, how we treat our spouses, and how we treat strangers on the street. Is, it, is the Word of God affecting that or is it like well, I do it the way I did it a few years ago that was pretty good I was pretty good back then so I'm pretty good now or are you letting the word of God affect how you do everything in your life and then Stephen rounds out the part of the speech that he was allowed to give we don't know if he had he probably had a lot more in there didn't he in his heart by going right to a crucial and inflammatory point that made the dogs howl are you and I ready to go there verses 47 to 53 but it was Solomon who built a house for him so he's at the end of his little history there right Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Because they were accusing him, saying, here's God's going to, Jesus is going to tear this all down and change all the customs. And, And that was how they were trying to get at him, right? Verse 49. Oh, excuse me. As the prophet says, comma, verse 49, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did so do you. And what did Jesus say to some of them? You're the offspring of Satan. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it wow so in part Stephen was saying to these Jews the the only true living God he doesn't need a physical temple he doesn't need that for heaven is his throne The earth is full of His glory and is therefore His temple. So the earth is or shall be full of His praise. But they weren't praising Him. They murdered Him. And upon this account, it is this temple. It was therefore no reflection at all upon this holy place. However, they might take it to say that Jesus would destroy this temple and set up another into which all nations would be admitted. Now this really burned them up. And it would not seem strange to those who considered that Scripture, which Stephen here quotes, which, as it is expressed, God's comparative contempt of the external part of his service, so plainly foretold the rejection of the unbelieving Jews and the welcome of the Gentiles that were of a contrite spirit into the church. Now, Stephen didn't go looking for trouble. He was just speaking the truth in the community. Can you relate to this? I mean, and in some places, in some nations right now, before it gets this bad, they're just out teaching their neighbors. And they're inviting people to church service. But people who hate Christ hate that because Christians say there is no king but Jesus. And people who want to be the king of your thoughts or people who want to be the king over you in terms of civil government, they hate that idea because they love power ever since the beginning. But to Stephen's benefit, the forces were not arrayed against Stephen. They were arrayed against Jesus. That's, that's what's really going on here. But Stephen didn't back off. He did not compromise He stood his ground and he spoke up and he spoke out to very powerful religious and civil government leaders, to societal leaders. He did not back off. So what will happen at times if you boldly stand for Jesus, whether it's with your boss, your neighbor, a civil magistrate? What happened to Stephen? They fell on him like a pack of wild, mad, rabid, feral dogs, jackals, coyotes, hyenas. I mean, there's, have any of you ever watched, in life, animals tearing something apart? We don't usually see that in America, but some of you in certain countries see that. When something goes down, a pack of dogs jumps on it. Or some of you have watched some videos of coyotes. Three of them could tear a deer apart. Wolves attacking elk. It's pretty, pretty nasty, pretty gruesome. That's what they were ready to do. Not so much they hate Christ. They, they hate Christ. They're ready to fall on him like jackals. Acts 7, starting verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And some translations say, cut to the bone, sawn in two. It's just like, ah, down deep inside of them. When they hear the truth, it's like painful to them. lay down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And our friend Matthew Henry says, we have here the death of the first martyr of the Christian church. And there is in this story a lively instance of, listen to this, the outrage and fury of the persecutors. Such as we That's you and me. Might expect to meet with if we are called to suffer for Christ. And secondly, of the courage. But listen to this part. And the comfort of the persecuted that are thus called out. Here is hell in its fire and darkness, and heaven in its light and brightness. And these serve as foils to set off each other. What's a foil? Like, you know, like is not like a little sword that you try to kill the other guy with. So, a few things I want to point out here in this part of it. <clears throat> First of all, these people who hate Christ, the persecutors, they're cut to the heart. Like they're actually pained inside. You might go, well, I feel sorry for them. No, don't feel sorry for them. They're pained about hearing the truth. And they're pained at hearing about Jesus. Just like false teachers of Roman Catholicism, just like false teachers in Episcopalianism, you read some history, I might read some of that to you, and other religious organizations that were calling themselves the one and only true religion at various times, including today in history, are cut to heart when they hear the truth. And then they gnashed upon him with their teeth. That means there's a lot of rage, a lot of rage against him. Job complained of his enemy that he gnashed upon him with his teeth. The language of this was, Oh, that we had his flesh to eat. Like, God, that's, that's pretty strong. And they're enraged at him. And therefore, Paul cautioning against those of the, of the circumcision, he says, Beware of the dogs. It's like, okay. And then third, they cried out with a loud voice. Well, I'm going to mention the gnashing with their teeth. Again, it's like the inquisitors at Rome. It's like the knight Harrison did to a Margaret from I might read about later. As today's chancellors and academics at universities do against those whom they disagree. This is going on right now. Or who they don't want to mention Christ or God. There's great, great pressure in some places to not mention this philosophy, but they get to mention their philosophy all the time. Third, they cried out with a loud voice just to kind of irritate and excite each other. We read about today, what, a council culture, right? Rioters, we have rioters who, who are saying there's you know, this in our society or that in our society. They're not rioting for Christ. They're writing, they're writing against lies. I, mean, for, I guess you could say, for lies, Or they'll riot against pro-lifers. They'll yell at them and scream at them. And they'll yell at people on TV and radio. I've watched it. And they they do not like. They do not like Christian ideas being taught. And fourth, they stop their ears. They don't want to hear anymore. We don't want to listen. We don't want to listen. It's just like today. They don't want to have a rational conversation. They don't want to let you lay it out there. I remember this is, some people think this is only today. When was 1984 or five? Thirty-three some years ago, I was at Oregon State University and I knew coming to campus, this was after I was saved, I was working on a doctorate, and I knew coming to campus was a man who just wanted to talk openly at the university about ideas of the origin of species in life, not from the world view of most of the professors there. So I went into the hallways and put up a poster, just a little sheet this size, on a bulletin board, and I was in teaching a biology class at college level, and all of a sudden came in real fast. Brian, I got to talk with you. It was my boss. He brought me back into the, the prep room in the back, you know those science prep rooms. He said, did, did you put this up? Did you put this up on the wall? Like, whoa, calm down. I said, Oh, uh, yeah. You can't do that. I was like, really, got out permission. They didn't want me to teach anymore. In fact, I didn't teach anymore in biology after that year because they did not want even people to talk about a different worldview or a different understanding of the facts it didn't matter it was the truth the man who was coming in was a Christian Dr. Donald Shittick some of you might remember that name from way back they hate it they don't even want to hear about it let alone let you do it so they stopped their ears five they ran upon him with one accord the people of the, and the elders of the people, judges, prosecutors, witnesses, and spectators, they all flew upon him as beasts upon their prey. I think it's like civil magistrates today. If you cross the line, if you don't go with the mainstream, when they say, close your church, they'll run on you. They'll do emails. They'll do, have any of you watched the propaganda in the ads? All kinds of things everywhere. They claim that certain this or certain that will basically, the implication is, stop viruses forever. We know it's not true. We've had them for 6,000 years. And I'm not belittling getting ill because it's no fun to get ill. But there's nothing new. And they belittle you if you say, hey, well, have you read the research for the last 20 years? Not just the last two years. Have you read the research for the last 20 years on masks? And I have, by the way. No, we don't need to read that. We've got our own summary at the government website. And you read that and you think that guy would get an F in my research class. They don't want to hear. People don't want to hear. And you say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with the gospel, does it, Brian? Part of the gospel is being honest, being truthful about the history of the world. The history of the world includes viruses, disease, death, and only one solution to that. There's only one solution. There are not a bunch of physical solutions. They don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that they stop up their ears and then six they cast him out of the city and stoned him now I'm not trying to say that America is as bad as it is in a lot of places I'm not saying that at all okay I'm just giving some examples here but it's the same kind of thing when you're banned you're censored you're locked out whether it's government website that we supposedly own or private websites that I don't own. But you're, you're locked out. You're shouted out. You're shouted down. And that happens all the time, especially on campuses, at school board meetings. You're thrown out, and they stone you with words. Or by losing your job. If you will not submit to anti-biblical critical race theory training and oaths. Some people are asked to sign oaths, oaths, O-A-T-H, That they will support this. These are anti-biblical ideas and Christians are being asked to sign them. Will they sign them or will they say no? To submit to anti-biblical jurisdictions of employers over employees. Will we sign those or not? Casting out Christians who are trying to get their doctorates in psychology because they will not agree that a girl is a boy and a boy is a girl because they will not agree to not help people not follow a homosexual lifestyle. They will lose their jobs or not get their doctorates. Same thing in biology. And it's not new. It was going on. I, people were trying to stomp me out. 35 years ago, because of a different worldview. It is happening all the time when you speak up for God's ideas on biblical sexuality, biblical marriage, the biblical creation order, all kinds of things, the gospel itself. So we look at martyrs of old and physically persecuted saints today and we consider verbal and social persecution and we might say that ah, doesn't happen anymore okay I just want to remind you as I did earlier it's happening today the physical persecution if, you, if you've never read things like some of you might say I don't want to read that well if you've never read something like the Voice of the Martyrs magazine I'm not saying you need to read it every month because it's it might not help you all that much to read it every time But if you've never read a magazine like voice of the martyrs you need to read it you need to know what's going on today it will help you to have a heart to pray for our brothers and sisters we pray in the morning often right on sunday we pray for the persecuted church if you've never read those you you kind of really don't know for sure what we're praying about and you might not have a heart for it so i would suggest you look at that so, and again, I'm not saying these are the equal in terms of severity, but I just want to give you a couple more examples. In America today, is anything going on? So in September 29th and this year, no, 2021, 20, that was just a few months ago, sorry. Different, different year, uh, we're not to September yet. Uh, Peter Vlaming, a former high school French teacher in West Point, Virginia, who was fired from his job for refusing to refer to a biological girl using... Male pronouns had to go to court. Now you might say, "Well, he's teaching in the government schools; he's got to do what they say." Is that really how America's supposed to work? So he was interviewed. He says, "I explained to my administration how I was using the students' new in in a French class. They all get to choose their own name." So he said, "Okay, choose everybody, choose a name." And and this student chose one. So he was using that name. He wasn't fighting with that because he told everybody, "You may choose your name." So student chose a name and that's what he was using. Uh, How I was avoiding feminine pronouns in her present, which isn't that hard, you just use the student's new name. But that I would not pronounce masculine pronouns referring to her, that it was not truthful and I could not do that. And they, that's the government school administration, came back and ratcheted up a few notches saying that well Not only will you refer to the students using masculine pronouns in her presence, it's even when she's not present or no students are present. Even if it's just you and other teachers or administrators, you will refer to the student with masculine pronouns. Now, you might think, well, that's not a big deal. That has nothing to do with the gospel. Doesn't it? Is God's order, does it have anything to do with God's history and God's reality and this is in writing he got that from his administration this was an ultimatum from the superintendent which said that if we think you are substituting the student's new name for a masculine pronoun if we think that you're doing that it will be grounds for your termination and then he says which is the definition of the thought police so what will you do in that kind of situation Another example, George Yancey is a sociologist, just happens to have very dark skin. Well, it doesn't just happen to have, that's by God's design. A professor of sociology at Baylor University sent a questionnaire, he says, I sent a questionnaire with open-ended questions to a group of pro- progressive activists who tended to be white, male, wealthy, educated, and irreligious. They were the type of people one would expect to exhibit Christianophobia, and they did. Here are just a few of the answers I received on my survey about Christians. Kill them all. Let their gods sort them out. These are Americans saying this. A torturous death would be too good for them. I'd be a bit giddy, certainly grateful, if everyone who saw himself or herself in that category, Christian, were snatched permanently from our societal peripheries, whether by Holocaust or rapture or plague. And the last one, I am only too well aware of their, that's your, Horrific attitudes and beliefs and those are enough to make me see them as subhuman. The, uh, D- Dr. Yancey goes on, to examine that question, is there discrimination against Christians in America? I looked at academia, an area where one expects to find the type of highly educated, progressive secularists likely to have anti-Christian animosity. I asked academics if they would be less willing to hire someone who is either a fundamentalist or an evangelical. I found that more than half would be less willing to hire a fundamentalist. And almost two in five would be less willing to hire an evangelical. The academics answering my survey explicitly stated they would discriminate against a job candidate who is a conservative Protestant. By a clinical definition of persecution, yes, Christians are persecuted in the United States. But I still discourage Christians in the United States from saying they're persecuted, since what we face today is not what most people envision when they think of persecution. However, as Christians, we should be aware that anti-Christian discrimination is real. It's a little bit closer to persecution in some places like in Canada where, or the United Kingdom right now. Where if you preach about certain things in the Bible, you will be arrested and put in jail. Now, we can thank God in the United Kingdom about half a year ago, the court said, no, nah, I guess we have to let that guy preach out on the open square after he'd been arrested. And I think he was preaching about sexuality or something. Uh, but he, he made it out in that situation. So I'm going to read to you another story just to remind us that we don't know when or if or how. We don't know what's going to happen five years from now or 20 years from now when your children, some of your children, are maybe 30 years old. So let me read this one to you. It's about Margaret Wilson, 18 years old, I believe in Scotland, She and her family were covenanters and they said, no, we're not going to follow the church when it's going against God's word. She's 18 and she, her brother and sister, had often to hide from government troops because they wouldn't go hear the Episcopal ministers. One day, however, Margaret and her sister Agnes, 13 years old, were finally caught. Their father managed to get his younger daughter released, but he could not save Margaret. Robert Gerson of Lag was knighted for his efforts to wipe out the Covenanters. Those are the Christians. When Margaret refused to deny her beliefs, he tossed legal procedures aside, so who needs due process, right? Like sometimes in the United States, and ordered Margaret, along with friend widow Margaret McLaughlin, to kneel to receive her sentence. Death at the stakes in the rising tides of Solway Firth between England and Scotland. She was to be drowned with an older woman, with the older woman, Margaret. The soldiers tied them both to wooden stakes in the water. This is a true story. So I won't get too specific here, but they took the older woman down lower, a little lower sea level, so she would be, she'd be tied to a stake there. And she would drown before Margaret. Margaret would be a little higher, so Margaret could watch and then Margaret would recant before she had to be drowned. So she would see the woman die first. As the older woman was drowning, the soldiers asked the younger Margaret what she thought of her now, of the older widow who she really admired. Margaret Wilson replied, I see Christ wrestling here. Then just when she herself was about to drown, the soldiers lifted up Margaret's head and asked her to pray for the king. She answered, God save him if he will, for it is his salvation I desire. However, when they asked her, take the oath to obey the king and not the word of God, she said, I will not. I am one of Christ's children. Let me go. The soldiers then pushed her head down under the water again until she died. Just before she died, Margaret had sung from Psalm 25, My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy, think on me, and for thy goodness, great. Good God, God good and upright, is the way he'll sinners show, the meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know. Acts seven fifty nine to 60 And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I think some of us look at that and think, how? How can you do that? How can you pray for your persecutors? Well, on your own, you can't. But see the strength and grace in Stephen and the wonderful instances of God's favor to him as his persecutors were full, of, were full of Satan, so he was full of the Holy Ghost. Fuller than ordinary, anointed with fresh oil for the combat. That is a day, so might the strength be. Just think about this. You, we sit here and think, I don't how could I do that? Okay, Think how this commentator writes it. As the day, so might the strength be. Upon this account, those who are blessed, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, that the Spirit of God and the glory rests upon them. When he was chosen to public service, all of us are appointed to public service in some way. When he was chosen to public service, he was described to be a man full of the Holy Ghost. And now he is called out to martyrdom. He has still the same character. Note, those that are full of the Holy Ghost are fit for anything, either to act for Christ or to suffer for Him. <clears throat> and those whom God calls out to difficult services for His name, He will qualify for those services and carry comfortably through them. <coughs> <coughs> by filling them with the Holy Ghost that as their afflictions for Christ abound their consolation in him may yet more abound. Wow. And then none of these things move them. <clears throat> now here we have a remarkable communion between this blessed martyr Stephen and the blessed Jesus in this critical moment. When the followers of Christ are for His sake killed all the day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter, does this separate them from the love of Christ? Does that ring a bell for you for Scripture? Does He love them the less? Do they love Him the less? No, by no means. And so it appears by this narrative in which we may observe about Stephen. So he was full of the Holy Ghost. And where did he look? He looked up to heaven. I I think, you know, maybe there is something to physically looking up. It says he looked up to heaven. And is any afflicted? Let him pray. Stephen, by faith, looked up. Not just a glance. He looked up steadfastly. Like, I'm looking to God. So I'm going to read one more verse long piece of a commentary i want you to listen carefully he saw jesus standing on the right hand of god the son of man jesus being the son of man having taken our nature with him to heaven and being there clothed with a body might be seen with bodily eyes and so stephen saw him we don't know what god's going to do for us in a moment of persecution okay discrimination maybe in america right now or persecution somewhere else or maybe someday in America, we don't know what the Lord's going to do for us. Stephen saw him. When the Old Testament prophets saw the glory of God, it was attended with angels. <clears throat> the Shekinah, or divine presence in Isaiah's vision, was attended with seraphim, In Ezekiel's vision with cherubim, both signifying the angels, the ministers of God's providence. But here, in Acts 7, no mention is made of the angels, Though they surround the throne and the Lamb, instead of them, Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of God, the great mediator of God's grace, from whom more glory redounds to God than from all the ministration of the holy angels. The glory of God shines brightest in the face of Jesus Christ. For there shines the glory of his grace, which is the most illustrious instance of his glory. God appears more glorious with Jesus standing at his right hand than with millions of angels about him. Now, here is proof of the exaltation of Christ to the Father's right hand. The apostles saw him ascend, but they did not see him sit down. A cloud received him out of their sight. We are told that he sat down on the right hand of God, but was he ever seen there? Yes, Stephen saw him there, was abundantly satisfied with the sight. He saw Jesus at the right hand of God, denoting both his transcendent dignity and his sovereign dominion, and I'm going to add right here, over every single instance of persecution. His uncontrollable ability, God's uncontrollable ability, and his, God Jesus, universal agency everywhere he has power to be exhibited. Whatever God's right hand gives to us, to you, to me, or receives from us, or does concerning us, it is by Him. For He, Jesus, is His right hand. That's, that's our only hope. That's our only hope. So, <clears throat> in this moment of time, a brief point in history was Stephen but it's a seminal moment what, what Christian who hasn't been a Christian for you know at least a couple years I'm going to give you a couple years if you're a Christian to have read Acts maybe I shouldn't give you that long who doesn't remember this? Stephen like wow he just tells a story of truth boldly and they gnash their teeth at him they rush on him they close up their ears and then they drag him out and stone him to death that's, that's incredible but many millions of Christians I don't know how many Christians there have been remember this and Stephen prays for his perse- persecutors <clears throat> so will you stand What can you do? What can we do? First of all, if you say there's no way, then examine your salvation because there is a way in Christ. There is a way. Whether it's with your employer, whether it's with somebody on the street, whether it's with a civil government in a place called the United States that goes bad whether it's in North Korea, whether it's in China, there's a way. What is a Christian? One who, by the grace of God, can declare that he justly deserves the wrath of God. Save, that means except for, save for the mercy of Jesus Christ alone. He, that's the Christian, that's you if you're a Christian, casts aside all hope in your self-righteousness and puts away all pride in his own goodness, one who is glad to be regarded as spiritually bankrupt, saved by the free grace and righteousness of Christ and by the sheer mercy of God has been granted a grateful heart which yields an allegiance to him alone as Lord and sovereign. In a word, one who glorifies in Christ Jesus and has no confidence in the flesh. So if we're going to go, you know, to the next step of discrimination or persecution with a lot of confidence in ourselves, forget it. But if we go with confidence in Christ, we're going to be okay. Read accounts of Christians standing firm under pressure. If you pick a movie, like an old movie. Betsy and I just watched one the other night. Pick one that has some kind of redeeming value in it. You know, even if it's not about the gospel itself, pick one, especially with your friends or your children. And I'll tell you, a lot of them are black and white. (laughs) A lot of the other ones I can't find a lot of five-star movies. But even in those, you will find people who stand up for the truth. And that's encouraging. (laughs) Read books like there's one out now called Live Not By Lies. And we'll give you examples today. Today, in places you might not think where there's persecution or you might not think there's very much discrimination, you will find it. And a book like that will help you prepare. Read good, strong, biblical literature and theology and histories about Christian people. And, you know, I'm going to say, read the Word of God every day. We need it every day. We need it every day. So it's ready. Remember like Stephen, he was just ready. He was ready. So whether you're you know, a dad who comes home at night from work and you're tired, or your mom has been taking care of children all day and you're tired, or you're a single person and you're tired of customers, or whatever it is, you're ready with an answer. You're ready with an answer. And you can do it with grace and care. Will I stand? The answer to this question is yes if Jesus is your Lord. Is he your rock? Is he your sustainer? If yes, then yes. Not by your might or my might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you to bless you and to comfort you as you glorify the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Before we sing. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you, Father, for the rock who is Jesus, our Lord. I ask you to help all of us to be firm in that foundation, the great corner stone, when it comes to slight discrimination when it comes to obvious discrimination, when it comes to what we might call persecution. Father, would you please help our brothers and sisters in this country, in Canada, in New Zealand, Mozambique, North Korea, China, everywhere, Lord, all over the earth. Help them to be strong in your word. Help them to be full of the Holy Ghost. And help them to take persecution and discrimination to your glory with their eyes on you. Amen.